Welcome to the State of Fem Art Podcast, a space where we drive conversations around what it means to be woman creatively and artistically in today's industry. A place where women from various walks of life share their experiences, triumphs, and obstacles as they navigate the state of the world and their creativity. This is a safe space. One where women are celebrated for being fearlessly and unapologetically them. It is a space of belonging for those who feel their artistic and creative endeavors have gone unseen, unheard, or unsupported. But here you will also get resources and tools to help you reach your next level. We'll laugh together, cry together, but more importantly, we'll grow together. I am Tamia Faulkner, and this is The State of Fem Art. Hello, guys. What's up? What's up? Welcome to another episode of The State of Fem Art podcast. I am super excited to have today's guest with us, and I'm going to let her introduce herself, Miss Brittany Peroni. How are you? Good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Primarily, number one, because I think it's so important to shed a spotlight on women who are in industrial design and sneaker design, because you see so few women who are highlighted and acknowledged, and the industry is just so male-dominated. And I've been coming across so many, especially younger women who have been interested in getting in the field and not necessarily seeing examples of themselves in the industry. And, you know, I've seen you around. I got a chance to hear your story at a conference. It was it was a group of us. We were at um, the Steve Harvey conference that came here to LA. And I just remember you speaking to your passion for design and your personal brand and, you know, the growth and evolution of that. And I felt inspired. So I know our listeners will feel inspired as well. Yeah, that was a that was a fun day. And I think it's it's awesome when larger organizations put together, you know, um, moments and events like that to really like give back to the community in like a, like an educational space, basically. I think it was pretty dope. And I feel like you're always learning, like you're always, whether it's, you know, being in a room at a conference or whether it's going to learn something else about design, you just seem like the type of person who's a lifelong learner. And I love that um, about you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I had a mentor in college um, that really like, hammered into my head like be a sponge and I think it's just kind of well it's it's a couple things it's like just having a curious mind like you're just like intrigued by stuff so you're constantly absorbing the world and then I also think it's like important to remain humble um which presumes curiosity just because once you feel like you've arrived at something I think that's when you're that's when you like kind of start to decline in whatever like field you're working in or or aspiring to. So yeah, between humility and curiosity, I think being a sponge is like, it's really key to to success. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And just speaking about being a sponge, were there ever, I know you 
you know, mention a mentor of yours in college, but when I think about the lifelong journey that you're taking um, from when you first started within design up until now, were there any people who you just loved to sit at the feet of and soak up knowledge or um, that you were inspired by just on this journey to developing your own brand? Yeah, I mean, in terms of of absorbing, I definitely think Jerry from Fear of God was the biggest and is the biggest like influence on me as a creative. Um, You know, I came to Fear of God with a technical background in design, you know, with a degree, with like corporate experience and I had piloted, you know, various projects on my own. Um, But Jerry's lens on design really affected me because he just came at it with such a different approach than like, you know, I don't know, he doesn't have Photoshop or Illustrator like on his computer. So to, yeah, to like watch someone be such an elite creative at like he's like I want to get to this vision I want to get to this vision and the way that he demonstrates that or or communicates that I guess really to a team of people um I had to like absorb him in order to like support him and you know do my job so he really affected like my take on like shape and color um which is not really something that I feel like is taught in design school. It's, you know, design school is a lot about process. And then like taste is something I really ran into when I started working at Nike. And then I didn't really feel like it got to like a refined place until I was with Jerry and just like, um, I definitely feel like he for sure has been the biggest influence on me as a creative. I think there's other mentors obviously that have supported like my career in a practical way but in in terms of creativity definitely Jerry Lorenzo. I definitely want to pause right there because I I want to speak to things that are just like innate right as a creative as a designer and those things that are learned and um sort of what you feel is most important because you do have creatives who just have a passion or a um, desire to create and um, the intuitiveness and they're, you know, very driven to do so. But then you also have those who are skilled, trained, they have the degrees, like you said, they have um, the corporate background. How important do you feel both dynamics play into and have played into your evolution as a designer. Are there some things you're like, okay, I have to get rid of that corporate way of thinking and yeah, approach this yeah. differently? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think um, there's something really beautiful about like elementary, elementary communication, um, and I and I got that a lot from Jerry. Like the way that I work now. Um, is a lot more about expressing a feeling. Whereas before I was like neck deep in files, you know, working with blueprints and like, I still do that. And I still, I still know how to develop product, but developing product and like creativity are two different things. And so it's like, Jerry is very much a creative that is, 
he's a visionary. So that that is that is creativity. Um, I think corporate culture teaches you process and and then politics and then also like product development. So like I don't I wouldn't have been able to support someone like Jerry had I not had the corporate experience to like develop products. So I don't think it's an either or either or I think it's a both and I do think I do think people that are not technically trained um they're more um free spirited just because they don't understand the like what goes into something and I think sometimes that ignorance can be like a blessing because you won't you know like if I have all the, all the knowledge or I should I don't say all the knowledge if I have a, a deep knowledge in manufacturing and product development I have a deep understanding of the cost of that development so mm-hmm. as a creative if I'm trying to build something or, or even as an entrepreneur and a small business owner you can be hindered by that knowledge in your creative aspect or like you know if you're splitting those kind of hairs you're like, dang, this is going to cost so much, you know, and or or, oh, this is a four part mold. And now we're you know, now it's complicated where someone like Jerry is just like, I want this, make it happen. You know, I want this shape. I want this color. I don't care how many parts to the mold like. So there's a there's a real beauty in that because you're just purely focused on the end result um, and the end expression. So I, it's, 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 it's tough. I, I try to, I try to kind of shelve my manufacturing brain a little bit more now, just, just so that I can achieve, like, I want this, I want to figure this out, you know? And I think maybe now I push a little bit harder than I did before, just because I've seen more complicated things become resolved when, when people are adamant about like, I want this end result. So did you always jump into the industry with the mindset? Like, I want to be a designer. I want to go into industrial design or was it something um, specific that happened within your life that changed your desire? Because I'm not sure if you started off wanting to do this or if it was something that just happened due to um, a particular event in your life? Um, kind of both. Um, it happened because of an event, but it happened when I was 17. So it was like kind of before life really started. Um, so I found design. I wanted to be an architect in high school. And the reason I wanted to be an architect was because I was in ceramics and I was doing really well in the ceramic space at the high school level and like locally in my town in like art shows. And I was making teapots and I just couldn't get over the fact that like I made something really beautiful, but also um, I could take it home and I could actually like make tea on my, on my stove. And so the function aspect of it really mesmerized me. So I was like, all right, well, I'm not going to be like a starving artist, like potter ceramicist for the rest of my life. Like this isn't a career path basically. Um, though some people now have made a career out of it thanks to Instagram, which is fire. But at the time that wasn't an option. Um, and so my pole vault coach worked at Nike and he was the one that was like, I think you would like design. Like, I know you want to be an architect, but like, you're really kind of mesmerized by like this form and function thing. 
why don't you come to work with me? So he took me to Nike with him when I was 17 and was like, this is design. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> you can get paid to draw shoes and, <laughs> and, and work with athletes. And like, I already had a, a shoe fetish. Um, and I wanted to be like, I was a gymnast and a pole vaulter. And I knew that sports was going to stop for me after high school. Like I wasn't going to do it in college. And so I was like, wait, like I can kind of continue my proximity to, you know, being an athlete and like sports, you know, through another career path. So that was, that was kind of what grabbed me. And, um, also looking back at the time, like I didn't grow up in sneaker culture, so I didn't really understand like the space that he took me to when I was 17. Wow. So, so from interning to actually becoming a Nike designer, what was that journey like? Because I believe you were one of the first Nike retail employees to make that jump into design. Yeah, that was, that was pretty exciting. I was working Nike retail while I was in design school and one of the Nike designers that I had met uh, when I was 17 that day, he came through my retail store on like a brand campaign. And I went up to him and I was like, cause I remembered him. I recognized his face and I was like, Hey, uh, you know, I met you like two years ago. I'm in design school now. You know, would you be willing to like mentor me? And he was like, yeah, sure. Take my email. So I took his email and, um, he mentored me like for the following two years or like year and a half. And then when I, when it came to needing to get the internship, um, the retail team or the retail division of Nike was running a program called Field First that was transporting retail employees who kind of already had like a passion for the brand and a deep knowledge of the brand at a product level, uh, two headquarters, four different internships. So, I called my mentor and I was like, Hey, they're running this program, you know, is, would this like work for us? And he was like, let me, you know, let me call my friend. And so he was like family friends with the vice president of retail. And he was like, Hey, I've had this girl I've been mentoring for about two years. I know you're running this program. Like, could we, could we, you know, get her on campus? And so that's really, that's how that happened. He was like, yeah, I'll pay for it. And, um, you know, I kind of look back on my story and the amount of like cards that fell in my favor that were not in my control was, you know, not common. Like I, I, I repeatedly, yeah, I'm like not supposed to be here, you know, other than like God's favor, just like making provision for, you know, the moments that kind of were pivotal. And the internship was key because once you get on campus, you can network and create your, you know, a name for yourself that is associated with your work ethic and your, you know, consistency and for sure your output. Um, so yeah, so that was, that was really exciting. And then that was, that gave me the opportunity to build a relationship with the vice president of footwear. Um, once I was an intern and he was kind of the reason that I got recruited back after college. Um, so yeah, it, I'm I'm super super grateful for my Nike family and for the people that invested in me early because I I I wouldn't have the career path that I've had without it. That's such a full circle moment to be 17, seeing the campus, not really realizing what it is you're seeing, 
Yeah. And then, you know, becoming an intern and making that jump into design is pretty freaking awesome. Like, yeah, that's dope. So your journey from, you know, from Nike and, and starting corporate and now developing your own thing, because I think at first and correct me if I'm wrong, your brand started off as now it's proof of concept. But before, was it D Peroni? Yeah. Yep. And even before that, it was Peroni. But that um, I always say this to anybody that's starting a project, like the first thing you got to do is get a trademark because the intention is to blow up, right? The intention is like this becomes a household name or whatever your goals are. Um, and if you don't own the rights to that name, you don't really actually own your business. You, Someone else could literally file for the name you're using and and take everything from you. So yeah, I that was the first thing that I did was like file for an alternate spelling of my last name and unfortunately didn't pass opposition because my last name is Peroni um, and Miller Coors owns Peroni beer and they rejected my mark. So I had to change to another spelling, which ended up being uh, Di Peroni, which is like by Peroni in Italian. And then during the pandemic, I was listening to a podcast and the guy on the podcast was like, everybody wants an investor, but nobody wants to do a proof of concept. And when he said proof of con, when he said proof of concept, it re- it like really resonated with me because in design school, that was always a, a the final deliverable of any, you know, like project or like semester long endeavor was a full proof of concept model. So it like meant something emotionally, it meant something to me. Um, so I called my lawyer and I was like, hey, I know we've gone through the rigmarole on these other marks. Can we try and get this one? And um, it was owned by a filmmaker here in Beverly Hills. And he had owned it for 10 years and he didn't renew the mark during the pandemic. So it wasn't even updated on the USPTO website. And so my lawyer slid in and filed for it and we got it. And it passed opposition and everything for bags, apparel, um, furniture, footwear, like all of it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, trademarking is a journey. (laughs) So to go through all of that. And I I heard something that you said um, in another interview that was so amazing. And I think you were saying... Um, during the time that you had been in Africa, you said you've had dreams before, yeah. but your dreams can evolve with yeah. you. And you said, I need a new yeah. dream. And I think that even speaks to that process of the evolution of the name, right? Because we have these dreams in our hearts of what we want to build and what we want to create. And sometimes it doesn't always pan out the way we imagined oh, yeah. it, oh, <laughs> you yeah. know, in our minds. And it's like, no, brands evolved, evolve, dreams evolve, and they can evolve with you, which yeah. I mean, I just think that's going to stick with me forever because, you know, I it's so inspiring to think like, hey, you don't have to stay stuck on, on one dreams. As you evolve as a person, so does your brand. And um, I think it's living proof, <laughs> you know, not to be funny, but with, you know, with proof of concept. So that's so dope. Yeah, I think that, well, and I think that whole idea goes back to being a sponge because you never really like arrive at 
like your final premises of life, you know, like we just don't do that. Like we, we are growing and dying every day at the same time. And so I think putting these like parameters, that was just like my 22 year old brain when I graduated, like, and I look back now and I'm like, I'm still undoing the 22 year old expectations, you know, that I had set for myself. Mm. And so it was like, you're going to be this, you're going to do that. You're going to make this much money. You're going to marry this kind of guy. And like, you know, literally like plot twist, life doesn't happen like that. Like you just don't understand that. That was like super, super, super green, naive perspective. Um, And so then once you get into life and it's like, you know, oh my gosh, you're going to run into all of these roadblocks that are completely out of your control. You can't you can't like really be hard on yourself. You literally just like have to roll with the punches. And then you also get exposed to new things or like, you know, the the other thing that I, that I think is interesting about this is like achieving your dreams can actually be very disappointing because you get to these spaces. And a lot of times those spaces is not what you, you thought they were going to be. And so there's like this letdown um, because you're like, Oh, I thought this would feel this way. And I felt that way at Nike, even though I like loved what I was doing. I was like, why is this not more fulfilling? Which is why I like ended up quitting and going to Africa because I was like, this isn't feeding my soul, you know, and design and the pursuit of that, that the pursuit of that like dream job consumed me for four years. And you don't, you know, like my friends always in, in college compare me to the girl in, um, zero dark 30 that like hunted Osama bin Laden for like a decade of her life. And then they finally catch him in the movie. And there's like this one scene that's like, it's like half a second. And she's like kind of distraught because she's like, what do I do with myself now? Because I've like caught him, you know, and I've I've dedicated a decade of my life to this mission. And then I get here now what, and that now what is terrifying. And so I think the whole idea of just being a sponge is also like in a way submission to God as well, where it's like, I'm going to allow something else to take control of my life. And I'm just going to move, you know, at the maximum of my ability, but I'm going to allow that grace and that space for new things to come in, new things to teach me, new things to intrigue me. Um, and, and instead of being like, oh, white knuckling, you know, the steering wheel, like gripping the steering wheel with a death grip that this is how this has to go, um, is just, just not the move. So that, that's where that statement came from. And, and then it's like undoing that 22 year old perspective that kind of has like haunted me for the last, I don't know, eight years. I'm still on, we're all still growing and dying at the same time. I mean, <laughs> a bar, I, it, you know, <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, that, that really like gut punched me because I feel, especially as a creative, you go through those, those moments where you are gr- growing and dying literally at the same time. And even for you to just, drop everything and say, Hey, this is not fulfilling me anymore. I need to like, what was that? Where did that come from? Because a lot of people don't have that 
carriage. Like you just up and say, you know what? I no longer want to be doing this because this does not serve, you know, the, it doesn't serve me. It doesn't fulfill my heart. Like, and I'm no longer growing here. So let me up and go to Africa or let me up and go to LA or, you know, where does that courage come from? I think it's like, I just would go to sleep at night and I would be like, there's no way this is my life. And the reason is, is reality is reality. So no matter what your like um, fantasy is of what that life should feel like or be like, the reality is I live in suburban, in the <laughs> suburbs, not suburbans. I live in the suburbs of, of, of Portland. You know, I grew up in Portland. Um, a lot of the people at the time, I'm like 25, 26 years old. And a lot of the people around me are in their like mid thirties, married with children. And, um, also a lot of people spend their careers trying to get to Nike and Nike. I, I did Nike out the gate from college. And I think design is unique because, uh, we have a very specific skill set, so we can land cool jobs at cool companies out the gate, uh, just because, they hire entry level designers. That's like a thing that that companies do. So I kind of like had my dream job, you know, from the beginning. So I didn't, that pursuit that I felt in college was four years of college, whereas other people feel it over years of time. And, um, and so the reality of my life was like, yo, this is not it. Like, I also grew up in the church. Um, I grew up around a very loving family that always had people in and out of our house. My parents were like the parents that was, you know, everyone else's parents. And now I'm, you know, living alone by myself. I don't really have um, like close friends or connections that are feeding my like soul. And so I'm really living for my career. And like at that point, my career was going fine. But I realized culturally, I didn't align with what Nike was offering at the time and and being in a male dominated space, male dominated sport, I just kept running into like um you know like sexism challenges that I just wasn't anticipating when I was in college. So I would say yes, there's courage to quit things for sure, but I wouldn't even commend myself that much. I would more just say I was like in a really um I was in a detrimental position and I was like, I'm not going to win here. I'm not going to win no matter how hard I work, no matter, um, no matter what I come up with or I invent, like, you know, I'm not going to be rewarded for that. And so, uh, so I, I, I kind of more left from a space of like depression than courage. And I think leaving the country I had traveled, you know, to Asia and I was like, wow, this is something else to see, you know, how other people live life. And so I wanted to try another continent. And that's why I ended up in Africa. Um, So, yeah, I I definitely left there with like, all right, in a state of shock because I had like I wanted to be like a president, you know, at Nike. I wanted I wanted to climb that ladder over you know, 10, 15 years and, and be like one of the goats at Nike. 
Um, and I was very committed to that. And so I think that's also why I really blindsided a lot of people because people knew the ambitions that I had there. Um, when I was like, you know what, I don't think this is going to pan out how I want it to. And so let me just go back to the drawing board. And that, yeah, like I, I, since 17, you know, had wanted that. So to, to at 26 say, never mind was, um, it was a, a shock to my system. I think I was in shock for about a year. Like, I can't believe I did that because it was all I ever wanted. And so now I'm like, you, you tore up that blueprint completely with no plan of like what I was going to do. So the fact that I've like landed on my feet is kind of like uh, crazy to me, which is why I credit God because I, I really, I had no control over the series of events, obviously that followed after. And so, yeah. Yeah, that's that. It was more desperation and depression than it was courage. But I definitely encourage people if you are considering it and you're unhappy, absolutely make that leap because there is a lot of freedom on the other side of it. Um, even just even just proving to yourself that you have the the courage to make that decision, even if it's coming from a place of sadness. Um, it, it validates you to yourself in a, in a cool way. So being in a male dominated space, what has it been like and what advice would you offer, especially to other women who want to go into um, industrial design, who want to go into sneaker design, because it is like you mentioned, a very male dominated industry. And a lot of the times you see men on the forefront of those being celebrated and goaded and you know what is what is it like to establish relationships and um, respect as a woman but also while navigating the fact that it is a very male-centric industry what advice could you offer um, having been in that and still uh, navigating through the industry as someone who will be goaded we're definitely going to say that because if you all have not seen her design work, it is stellar. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, I think it's, it's, it's two parts. I think it's first um, talent, like developing your talent is what, you know, like a lot of, like I always say this, like my work will get in rooms that I can't. And, and so um, eventually uh, even if you're not in that space, a lot of times your work will open a door for you. So leaning heavily on your skill set and your talent that's like actually um, developed is like the first and foremost thing, which is why like either going to get a degree or um, developing a portfolio or a series of projects that demonstrate your talent is like, that's really the first thing that's going to like endorse you you know you can endorse yourself through talent because people can't argue with like that's fire you know that's that's an objective thing that like you know if a bunch of people respond to it they respond to it and now it's like well who did that and then it's like well you can't argue like oh she's female you know so at the end of the day if you're doing if you're doing numbers then people like that you know that doesn't um that doesn't, I mean, I've seen people do even terrible projects, but the projects did numbers. 
so people want to work with that person even if like from a design standpoint it's like okay that's kind of whack right so <laughs> it, it works in all directions um and then the other thing is I think like perception so not necessarily it's not so much about who you are it's about how people perceive you and I think women women deal with that more just because we are labeled more quickly um than men and so if you understand who you're dealing with it it becomes a lot about manipulating the perception so like let's say for example i'm actually like i'm super passionate and i'm super um emotional and um i don't think there's anything wrong with being emotional or like you have strong convictions you have frustrations you have joy like you're human um However, if people think that you're like a loose cannon, that's their perception of you, regardless of how controlled you are or, you know, people don't see um, what happens behind closed doors. They don't know what you're actually coping with or dealing with. They only see your the way that you carry yourself. So I think women, it's, it's unfair, but it, it is really about how you carry yourself. Can you control, um, can you control a dynamic? Can you control a room? Um, and a lot of times that's talent, but then that's also like just the EQ of how do you engage with these men? Are you able to understand the ego? Are you able to understand the insecurities? Like, um, are you able to find allies? Like it's, it's really it's really being self-aware um, of how you're being perceived and then learning to move according to what is in your best interest. Um, and sometimes that's humiliating. Sometimes that's um, dehumanizing. But if you're going to work in this space, it's kind of like what comes with the territory. And I, I am very, very bold compared to a lot of women, I will address things that happen real time. Um, and, and it doesn't go well, you know, because it's not supposed to because you're confronting, you're confronting dynamics that people don't want to confront. And then, you know, if they're, if you're on the totem pole, if you're lower than them, they can script any narrative they want to script about you. Um, so that's when your talent saves you, uh, because if you're going to push back on these dynamics, the only reason that you don't get, you know, smoked is because your talent is like that legit or that needed. Um, so if you can create a need, like I'm irreplaceable, that's when, that's when you kind of have the juice. And that's when I feel like it's safer to be, um, more vocal about the situations that we're dealing with, um, you know, mansplaining or just whatever, whatever stuff we go through as women. Such solid advice. Perception and talent, I guess, to boil it down to two words. Yeah, no, such, such great advice. So as we round this off, I have a few rapid fire questions for you. Um, some are design related, some are just random uh, questions. So are you ready? I'm ready. All right. When you approach design, is it functionality first or innovation? Mm. Um, I would, I would, I mean, those two aren't the same, but I guess function. 
I, I would place them so close to each other. Like innovation to me is more like an approach, whereas function is like a solution. Um, so I would all, I would like use innovation to create a function. Um, so, but I would say function is really at the top of my, uh, at the top of my mind pretty much all the time. Okay. Favorite designer of all time. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know it's so um, hard. I, wow. Uh, um, mm, Wow, what is like one of my favorite? Probably, probably Jill Sander. Mm. One food you could not live without. Food? Yes. Um, blueberries. Blueberries. If I had to do something every day, like if you had to create something every day, what would you create? A chair. A chair. <laughs> Wow, I was so not expecting that. <laughs> Why a chair? Yeah, because a chair can be anything. Mm. Um, like footwear is already defined by the shape of your foot, you know, to a degree, right? Like it's some kind of L or like, you know, something that like covers your foot. Um, I like chairs because they're functional, but they're also sculptural. So you could explore different materials. You could do like marble and concrete you can do upholstery you can do um wood like it it becomes more like modern art and and then it's also functional so it really goes back to like my teapot energy that was like it's beautiful and it functions yeah so last one the legacy I want to leave is impact like people's lives people's lives like people have the chance to live at the edge of their passions the way that I do every day like I'm very happy because I get to do what I love every day and I get paid you know to do it and meaning it just it sustains my life practically I want more people to have that opportunity um instead of working to live they're like uh they're just living they're just living doing what they love and I want that impact. I want to be able to give more people that opportunity. Thank you so much, Brittany. What can we expect from Proof of Concept? Are there any drops coming? Is there anything currently that people can go and cop now? Uh, what can we expect coming down the pipeline from you? Um, proof is is definitely in its infancy stages. And I'm full steam ahead on like developing um, I think one thing I really took from Jerry and I'm really applying to myself is patience. So I'm sitting in the concepting phase, uh, probably for about another year of just developing my ideas, uh, developing yeah. what I want this to look and feel like. And, um, the, what's on my site right now is sketchbooks because I feel like those are a vital, a vital piece to pretty much anybody's life. Like you don't have to be a creative. Like I know people that work in marketing or finance that, you know, also carry these little notebooks. And, and so I'm kind of offering some of these tools that I think are key to being a prolific professional. Um, and then I'm really diving into furniture and doing some concepts there around function and form. And then 
Um, I have a full-blown apparel collection that is al- already developed. I just have not decided like how I want to roll it out to the world yet. Um, because that's the other thing is like building your audience, building the community that, you know, I know is out there, but it's like, you got to be able to tell them about what you're offering and it like get to them, you know, and, and, and land and resonate. So, um, furniture, footwear, apparel and accessories all sit within proof. Um, and I would definitely say over the next like six months, you'll see at minimum um, four drops of product. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. 2023. Let's go. Well, we'll, we'll look forward to it in 2023. Thank you so much for just hopping on the podcast and sharing your journey. Um, you're so inspiring. And I think, you know, what you create as a designer is so dope. Again, guys, I'm not just saying this, go and check her out. How can people connect with you and follow what you're doing? Uh, Thank you. Um, proof of concept is, proof of underscore concept on Instagram and then proof of concept.co is our website. And, um, we are going to do a gallery, um, in 2023. We haven't picked a launch date for that yet, but in LA, we're going to do a pop-up space of, of some of these concepts just for people to kind of look and feel, um, because I'm really big on like, quality and the the experience of the product and a lot of times you can't capture that digitally so we're going to bring an in real life pop-up um and that will be sometime probably in the summer or fall next year so la pull up in real life 2023 we can't wait to see it we love to see it Brittany. thank you again for joining us on the state of fmr podcast thank you so much for having me Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the State of Film Art Podcast. You can catch new episodes bi-weekly on Thursdays. And make sure that you connect with us by following us on Instagram at SoFilmArt. And you can also visit our website and listen to past episodes at SoFilmArt.com.